Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Let's do it. And here we go once again. This is the Real Thing Patriots Podcast. Great to be with you. I'm Matt Chatham, your host. Let's dive into this thing. Uh, off the front end, I should give you a little bit of a, a little bit of a weekly news on what's going on with this particular show. And as you guys know, I have a lot of weird media jobs. Uh, I, I, I dig my time there at Nesson. I'm on a show there throughout the week. Um, we got Patriots this week, the show that you guys can see uh, on Patriots.com. Um, the one I do with Zolak and Bob Soshi. We film that early in the week, but uh, a little quirk in my own schedules. You know, I usually have these college games on the weekend that, that if you're a Patriots fan and not a big college football fan, you don't see a bunch of. And I think, I believe I told you guys last week that I was doing the UNH game. And, you know, during the season, it's it's BC or Syracuse, UVA, uh, UConn, whatever. I was kind of all over the place this season. But, uh, you know, that cuts into my time a little bit when it happens to fall where I've got a game that, uh, that can – that can affect my prep. So, uh, you know, on a normal week here with the the Real Thing P- Patriots podcast, we we try to make sure we have a guest. We try to make sure that we do the 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 listener questions. I think that were excuse me, the, you know, tw- Twitter Twitter questions stuff, which I love doing. Those times that we've done it, I want to get back into that again. But uh, I have this uh, playoff game in Virginia this week at James Madison. So, had uh, early week uh, coaches conferences with six different coaches. Um, you know, so it cuts into time. So I wasn't able to do the front end thing. Couldn't coordinate the uh the guy I wanted to have on from Buffalo, uh, the former player that I know that is going to do a great job. But fortunately, when you play the Bills, it's a division team, so we'll get to hear from again I, from him on the second time. So for me, it makes it a little more lean show. I I just have to do my video review uh, for for both the Dolphins game and Bills to get in here and do a show for you guys. But wasn't able to do some of the other uh, extras that I like to do. So that'll come back in, in later weeks. But this is a busy week for me personally. It's also why you're getting the show on Thursday instead of Wednesday. So hope you can still get plenty out of it. I hope yeah. Obviously, I think there's plenty of time for you to get plenty out of this uh, before Sunday, but uh, that's my excuse off the front end for why things are a little different this week. But uh, as I mentioned, let's dive in. i got a Dolphins game here first and foremost to talk about. Obviously, a very positive uh, result for the Patriots overall, a fun one to rewatch. A lot of good stuff in there, a lot of unique stuff in there, uh, and I think that's what's that's cool about if you know, being a fan of this team, if you are clearly you're listening to the show, you are. Uh, but being a former player, just being a, a basic football analyst, watching how the Patriots continue to sort of grow and morph and and improve and sort of diversify themselves, that makes it that makes it interesting from just sort of a football wonk standpoint. They're fun to watch. You know, if if they were called. You know, Team X, it doesn't matter. Flip on the tape, watching New England is, is very interesting from just a straight football standpoint. So, um, you, you obviously, just as a big picture of you before we head into the tape stuff with the Dolphins, you got to feel good about it on a lot of levels. Defensively, only give up one touchdown and a field goal, and the field goal came on a long penalty that moved them into, into, uh, into scoring territory, and then the defense hardens and, and enforces the three. So, one touchdown late. Um, you know, that was in chase mode where, where the lead was, was pretty big. Uh, and then obviously the other touchdown on the board was the, the snap issue between uh, Ted Karras and Brady. So that was just a one-time thing. Uh, so the defense sort of walks away with, you know, basically 10 points of their own that they concede. That's a great week. It's a great week of football, and you know it's immaterial that the Dolphins are you know not considered a top offense or something that it was 10. It's just that they keep stringing these together. I, I put a tweet about, out about this earlier in the week about how, not just that 
the Patriots are averaging such and such or doing such and such or whatever stats would say um, as far as a ranking or something like that. I, I think a really, really basic metric uh, to whether or not you're doing a good job, uh, or what you, whether or not you're outperforming the field, which is really what this is all about in the end. Uh, when the Patriots uh, played other teams and their offenses through this winning stretch that they've had back seven games or whatever it is, they have consistently uh, forced opposing offenses to score less than they do against the other people. And I think that's the, I think it's a real basic way to look at it. It's, it's scoring average, you know. And uh, in another week, their output generally as a team is blank. And against the Patriots, it comes down considerably. The only one where it was actually higher. Um, I think there was one instance, and it was another one of those where there was an offense that that an offensive score that sort of polluted the number. So by and large, that's that's all you can expect. You know, you go out there and you play better than what uh, than what those guys generally get on other people. And uh, it's equally or if not more impressive because you're forced into a style against the Patriots where you're going to be in chase mode often. They're, they're good. It's a really good offense. So you get to play more come from behind offense where you get sort of those uh, the bad beat scores, you know, the the stuff that uh, the sloppy late game stuff where, you know, it's comeback points. Uh, so it's out of the flow of a normal competitive game. So in my view, if it was right at their averages, that would still be doing pretty good because you'd expect more because you're pulling it up against an offense that scores at a very near league high uh, output. So anyway, it's uh, it, there's a lot to feel good about in that game. Offense kicked butt in the in the in the red zone. Something that they, we know that they've been working on heavily. One of the biggest days of the year on the ground for them. Um, you know, just overall great day. Uh, the couple injuries that we'll we'll touch on specifically as we get to them as we go through the game. But uh, let's go ahead and dive in now. Uh, you know, one of the very first things here of the game that was of note is that punt fake that went for the big play. Uh, Patriots opening offensive series actually wasn't very good. Clearly, they 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 get into a, a forced punt situation in their own territory early. But as you could obviously read into the decision to do so, I tweeted about it live when I was watching the game uh, there from at the stadium, but. The decision to go for it on fourth down on your very first drive in your own territory, it's not meant to offend. It's just the reality of the situation. The Patriots had very little respect that that defense would be able to stop them over and over or that their defense themselves would would have any problem stopping the Dolphins on that day. So when you do that, that just says, wow, we're confident. We have, we're not concerned about these people, and we're going to put the, the gas pedal down. And they did. Uh, so, you know, maybe that, for some of the chippiness that went on the rest of the day, maybe maybe it started there, you know, and that's, that's, that's all fair and uh, love and war, whatever the saying is. So, uh, you know, the Patriots came out, they got themselves stopped, and they just said, screw it, we're still going to go for it on fourth down, and they converted very easily. Now, on this on this pump block situation, we dove a little more deeply uh, into a couple other shows where we really talk special teams. We'll do a lot of that today, but just, just on this one particular play and show you why, in my personal view, um, punt fake is would potentially be one of the highest uh, efficiency plays, I think, in football if people had the sack to call it. Now, sometimes it just seems overly risky, even if you know, even if the success rate's like 85% or 90%, and I'm just throwing it out there. I, I, I have no idea what the stat would be. But the idea that, say if it was a super high uh, uh, percentage of time that you're actually effective in those, people still say, oh, but a 10% or a 20% chance of a, a a calamity here back on our own territory is just not territory is just not worth it. So that's usually the train of mind, uh, the, uh, the train of thought for for coaches when they don't call those. But stopping a fake is incredibly difficult for a punt routine, return group. Why? Because it, it although you're on the other side of the ball of a of a of a pseudo offense, you're not reading keys the way a defense does. You're not setting edges the way a defense does. You're not you're not you know your 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 play design for what you're about to do isn't 
meant to prevent them from getting five yards or three yards or two yards. It's meant to keep them from getting a punt return. You know, everything is sort of predicated on trying to set up the best return or pressuring the punter or things like that. If they flip into a run blocking scheme, it's really hard to get out of it. I can just tell you that having to play on both sides, you know, being one of those blockers on a punt team when you run fakes, you're really at a major advantage because the guy across from you is not trying to hold a run gap. He's not trying to hold run integrity. He's not really even reading the backfield uh, like you would a traditional play. He's staring through your chest trying to block you, and he's trying to get leverage based on which side he wants the return to go, not which side he would need to be on if it were a run play at him. So it's a major advantage for the punt team when you want to do fakes. Uh, and, and one of the things that's usually told is, uh, you know, the edge people are supposed to be responsible for the edge. And what happened on this particular play was just a direct snap, very clean. So it's a great snap by by the long snapper, gets it right to to, to Ebner, and he hits the edge in a hurry, and it's no chance. Now the the punt return uh, the punt return guy, captain, I believe, something like that uh, for for the Dolphins was very contrite in, in post game. Says now that's all on me. I got to set that edge. I got to make that play. Um, but. Where I understand his his sort of quandary there is it's easy to say, hey, he's the end of the line, you got to make the play. But they had eight up, and we talked about this in previous shows. What eight up means is eight in the box. That means if you have eight guys in the box and get a returner back, that's the ninth guy, then you can only be singled on the outside. And when you have eight in the box, it, it's and you're singling people on the outside. Singling gunners means they got a great chance of getting down to your returner. So that's a, that's a cue to everyone on the inside that usually eight means they're rushing us. They're rushing us. They're rushing us. And if or they're blocking inside out for middle returns. In other words, we've concentrated more of our blockers in the middle of the field. We want to funnel the gunners to the outside, even if they beat us, and we want extra blockers on the inside so none of these guys on the inside can get out. And when they do get out, we block them inside out so that they fan to, to cover the field, and we have sort of a gap up the middle of the field. That's that's the general philosophy of eight up. Now, I, I, set the, I set the stage like that for you guys to understand what that guy on the edge who Ebner ran around, the Dolphins guy who got so easily hooked there, uh, what's in his mind? Well, the guy across from him is a trying to outside release. You actually want him to do that. You want to block his inside because you got a middle return coming, right? So on the snap of the ball, he starts to jump to your outside your first thought is good, cool, great. You know that's where I want you to go for the return. But then when it's a fake, now he's got you hooked. <laughs> you know, so it's it's rocking a hard place. Uh, now uh, special teams coordinators will tell that guy also see you know see your block, but also see the the, the ball carrier. Well, good luck with that. You know, it's it's very difficult. So you have to have read some other keys. You have to feel sort of the guy firing off the line of scrimmage, maybe a little different you than normal. But it's subtle. It's very subjective, and it's it's usually easy. You're to, you're at a tremendous advantage to win that block as an offensive line player. You know, on the punt team. So I'll tell you this: I play guard uh, on the punt team, and I played the hold up positions all across the line, uh, across from them. Uh, you give me a punt fake uh, behind me, I will win my block a hundred out of a hundred times across the guy for me uh, with the guy across from me because I can, you know, I can fake one way and get him to start to think I'm releasing for a punt return and just hire him, you know, close him off, block him down, easiest block in the world. You don't get that advantage on on uh, you know on run play, plays or in an offensive lineman. You don't get that advantage in normal offense and defensive plays. It, it's great in punt and, and you should be win, able to win all the time. The one thing that screws up punt fakes is there's one guy who is honestly lead, reading just the back. And that's the guy who's assigned to block him. So usually that's a guy off the ball. You know, like we, Larry Izzo was really good for us at taking the up back, taking the full back, the Ebner guy in this particular case. So if 
you have him, you can kind of ruin the play because you'll be the one to see him acting unusually and you just got to flow. It's almost like an unblocked linebacker. Flow and make that tackle. If that guy doesn't flow and make that tackle, the, uh, the rest of the inline guys, the guys that are firing off and trying to get inside leverage to, you know, to block for a return, the leverage they're jumping to to hold the guys up it screws them for the run play. It's 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 just it's just really easy. Um, you know, I, if the thing the reason you don't see it, and it's not that I'm actually advocating for for Belichick to start you know punt punt faking on every snap. The reason you don't see it in New England as aggressively is because they got a great offense. You know, they don't want to give away a possession even if it had, it's as a, a low percentage chance. They know they're going to go out and score thirty most weeks anyway with their offense. So why give the other side a possession or two? I completely get that. This was an extreme example because I think they didn't have a ton of respect for either side of the ball of being able to stop them or having any difficulty stopping them, stopping the Dolphins. So anyway, that's a little little understanding there, I hope, of, of, of what went down on that particular play. Got hooked on the edge, got blocked by Brandon Bolton, and, and I mean, full candor, it wasn't a great block by Bolden. He just, the guy took one step, one false step, you're screwed. Brandon hits his chest, and, you know, now he's in chase mode on the edge as opposed to turning it in like, a, like an outside linebacker would. And then, you now Ebner outruns it. So the, the, the unfortunate portion here is we all know that, that Nate Ebner then gets hurt, looks like an ACL, a uh, bad knee injury. That sucks. He's, he means a ton to that group. He's a playmaker, obviously. I mean, they're putting the ball in his hands because they think he can make the plays. You know, it's like a rugby thing. You get him out in space and run forward there. He's obviously a great coverage player. He actually blocks really well, too, and it's sort of the kick and punt return stuff. So it's a big loss. I don't know what else to say about it. Sucks the way it happened. It was out in space untouched non-contact thing uh oddly enough you guys know i do the the preseason game so i'm out there in pre in pre-game or actually out in the preseason game on the sideline and uh oddly enough the place where where ebner went down is eerily close to where cyrus jones went down and and very similar out in a full sprint makes one sort of cut in full sprint in a lunge and then that's when it pops hate to see that Again, kind of reminded me of the Edelman thing as well. Edelman's out in space trying to make a one, you know, a full speed cut, and you know, just hits that fake stuff wrong. You know, the piles of the the piles of the little black beads could be an issue. Snagging one of those fibers on a cleat could be an issue. You don't know what it is, but it, it's an I think just an unpredictable surface below your feet that, that grabs you differently than grass does. I hate it. I hate to see it. That's three big ones in a year. That's <laughs> to me, that's weird. You know, if you're seeing ACLs go from people diving across legs, that's different. That's going to happen in football. But when you see them just, you know, the surface taking a knee out, I, I hate that stuff. So, uh, it's going to be a big effect. I think fortunately, the one thing you have with the Patriots is that you have an extremely deep special teams unit. You got a lot of really good playmakers out there. It's not as if you had a bunch of averages and Nate was making plays every week. Nate made plays, or Slater. I know he's banged up too, or Ban- or Brandon Bolden, or Bonamosi, or Marquise Flowers, or you know, or or or. or uh, there's there's just a lot of guys over there who can make plays, Jonathan Jones. So there's there's people all over that special teams unit. So uh, fortunately they're stacked. So being down one shouldn't affect the overall production. Whoever steps in that spot just has to make sure they're not they're now not the new hole, right? It's not necessarily you got to go out and make all the plays that Nate did. You just got to make sure that there's not an integrity leak at your particular spot. All right, heading forward there. There's enough teams for that teams and injury talk, but uh, we'll we'll fly through these a little bit. Today's show is not going to be the longest. It's not going to be a full hour. So we'll try to fly through the Miami stuff that I liked and then get right into these bills. Um, one of the things that was really nice in the running game, and we mentioned a big, 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 big day on the ground. Um, and I think that makes sense because the Dolphins front four is very aggressive. Whenever you get these guys like Sue and Wake who love to you know, beat snaps, fly up the field, that means trap blocking. Trap blocking, high arming. High arming is a, uh, 
is sort of a technique where you don't try to chase them up the field. It almost is a little bit like screenplays where for offensive linemen where you let him, you invite him up field a little bit, and then you high arm him, which is, you know, you let you use your inside arm to throw him up the field and kind of, it's almost like a sumo move without actually tossing him to the ground. You kind of do the little hip flip and, and high arm him, uh, you know, past the quarterback by sort of punching punching his, his shoulder and letting him fly up the field further than he should be want and than he should want to. Um, it was actually a great move that one of my former teammates and you go you know a guy that I work with uh, there in the preseason games, Christian Fourier. Christian was always really good at the high arm. Christian wasn't the biggest tight end, wasn't the strongest tight end, but he was technique was really good. And he would, you know, if you'd start pressing him out a few plays in a row, you'd start, you know, using strength or whatever or just trying to bull him he'd high arm you <laughs> you know you'd get real aggressive into him and he'd sort of olay and then throw you up the field and then now you've created a hole so that's the that's the philosophy so it makes you slow down because you don't want a guy like Christian or in this case some of these offensive linemen Shaq Mason was doing it well I saw uh two Joe Tooney, uh, Tooney or Thuney, I, I did that wrong, but anyway, doing it great. Uh, even uh, even Karras at the center position was letting some of those uh, those those aggressive gap blocks happen, and then high arming high arming him past the play. So that's a that's a long and well tested technique that uh, that a lot of players use, and uh, it created gaps. And Deion Lewis really hit a lot of those uh, in some of these overly aggressive situations. Deion hits it on the run. Uh, very, very, very uh, good job on the on the day. Both Burkhead and uh, and Lewis of finishing off the end of runs. Uh, we know Deion's not the biggest guy in the world, but he is strong and he, he does fall forward. He ends up getting two or three yards on contact on several of those runs this weekend. And we saw Burkhead do something similar as well, spinning out of him, you know, making making guys miss at the tail end of plays. But those two guys had big days. Still, some positive stuff out of there is James White as well. And I don't want to put a you know we're not trying to put a put a you know, graveside over him or by, by any, by any measure, I, I'm guaranteed there's going to be a point in some of the season where he ends up in a, in a high eight or nine or 10 target get day again. That's just, he's that valuable. And you heard a little cue this week, but from coach Belichick about the idea that they're not happy with where things are at with a screen game. Who's your best screen guy. That, that would be James. So if they're trying to, to juice that part of the game back up, I would anticipate a little bit greater role for him because he's the best in that regard. Uh, but the backs of the overall as a group, really a great day for them. So that's positive clearly going forward. Uh, the, the Dorsett play, Phil Dorsett play, uh, you know, he had the one big wide open catch. Um, I love that that showed up in the game. This was early in the game, I believe it was first quarter, might even been one of those first drives. But it's so important to continue to turn to the other eligibles that are out there. Philip Dorsett clearly is not going to be a focus of the offense. And he doesn't have to catch even three balls or four or whatever a week. He just has to catch one or two in sort of that keep him honest moment. And He's running it deep over, and I think he just gets forgotten about. There's enough extra attention to Gronk or, or Brandon Cooks or one of the backs out of the backfield, and you get cut free. And uh, Brady does a great job putting him on him. That was a tremendous protection on that particular play. I, 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 maybe I'm wrong there. I think it was good protection. Tremendous may have been the Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks actually got hit on one of these other deep over, overs later in the game where he was looked like he was unblocked. And you have to let that thing extend, 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 which means you need great protection to get there. And they had it on this particular day. So good that that's happening. It's it's kind of a little like the Dwayne Allen stuff. It's kind of a little like those, you know, maybe a Hollister catch here and again, where the other guys are in who are not expecting big production for, but provide one or two or three of those game breakers uh, through a, collectively through the group because, you know, it, it makes them guard you. You know, they cannot forget about you, make plays, hurt them 
Hurt them when you can. So, uh, and I actually bring up Jacob Hollister because he's that other tight end uh, game day now, and obviously we know that he's he's done some nice stuff in special teams. He's got a role there. Um, with the news that Martellus Bennett is now down for good with a hamstring tear, in addition to all the problems he was having with his shoulder, um, that means he's you know he's going to be up. He's going to be the third tight end probably throughout the rest of the season. Dwayne Allen has the really good blocking role. Had another real big good week of blocking for him. But I was curious and wanted to look to Hollister a little bit on the reps that he did get. And he showed up a little bit in short yardage. I watched him a lot, obviously, in preseason. Was trying to figure out what this guy was all about. You remember James O'Shaughnessy was still here. There was a lot, you know a lot of talk about who those tight ends were going to be. Obviously, Martellus Bennett's with Green Bay at the time, so you don't know he's in that formula. But I looked at Hollister as very much a, one of these glorified wide receivers, and glorified not to not to. Uh, you know, I'm not making fun of the guy. It's just that he's, I think, very much a part of this sort of new wave of tight ends that are more flex tight ends. You know, they're they're H's more than they are U's. That may not mean anything to you, but uh, the, the idea that he's not he's not like a second Gronk. He's more of a uh, I hate to invoke the name, but an Aaron Hernandez closer body type. He's not super heavy. He's maybe 240 or whatever. Uh, got good hands. He's athletic, all that stuff. But they're not glass eaters, so he's not built the same way as Dwayne Allen is. Certainly not built the same way as Gronk is. Uh, it's a different body type. Valuable. You know, they can do a lot of stuff in an offense, but it's different. So, But they do have to come in and get involved uh, from time to time in short yardage. And I noticed Hollister is sort of the motioning movement guy. I think it was in the Burkhead touchdown earlier in the game where, you know, Devlin's going to be the hammer, tip of the spear guy gets down blows people up gets movement but then Hollister has to come down aggressively as well and he has to get his block because if he misses it what James does at the point of attack could be less important um so Hollister did some nice job a uh, nice job again I'm not, not calling him a glass eater he's not in there to sort of explode things but he goes in aggressively and then does a nice job of position blocking and not getting knocked back himself so improvements there I think I think I've seen what he looked like in training camp and preseason games and what he looks like now. And I think he's getting much more comfortable in being aggressive in the run game and being a contributor that way and not being sort of soft spot. And, and it wouldn't be unusual if he was. Usually these second and third tight ends in the league that are there for more pass catch first than run block, uh, sometimes those are your weakest links. And I don't. he doesn't look that way now to me. He looks like a guy who's who's very capable and willing to do it. That's a, that's a great plus uh, for, for the offense uh, in some of these short yardage situations, uh, especially when, you know, you're in, he's in their system. He's in their practices each week. you got to go in and be hard-nosed and, and prove that you're willing to do it, and, and I think he's done that. So moving forward, Brady pocket movement. Man, I, I put some tweets out there that are probably a little more educational on this than just me chit-chatting but go check those out this guy's moving incredibly well sliding picking doors staying out of sack situations just the movement the quickness to me it all relates to the band work that he does uh, you know, where he, it's it's just the quick shuffle movements and can you get in and out of short spaces, pick the right short spaces to get in and out of, sort of bait guys to one direction of a block, shuffle to the other side. It's just so good. It's art, you know. It's And it's not because he's my friend. It's not because he's my former teammate. It's not because he wears a Patriots helmet. Again, it could be Player X. Watching him move in the pocket these days is is art, especially because it's, it's a foot speed skill. And it is weird to see a guy that, yeah, yes, once you get out and see him sprint, he's not fast once you see him try to evade people in open spaces you see ooh, baby giraffe but 
that's a, it's a different skill set. You know, you he is not concrete footed. Although he may feel concrete footed out in the open spaces, in the short spaces, the drilling he's done, the way he flips his hips, the way he he bucket steps and gets going, the way he he's quick. He anticipates movements before other people. His two or three stride movement to reset himself is is high level, extremely high level, and it's weird. It's nuts. I mean, it, this guy is. M- Quicker in the pocket, if this makes sense, it's quicker in the pocket than Tyrod Taylor you'll see this week. <laughs> you know, because if you can be decisive with your brain um, and you've repped those movements with your feet, it's just a quick dance move. It's really all it is. So even though guys who are far superior, you know, just raw athletes can sometimes not move as well that way. And it's, it's, it's just a really, real, really big credit to Tom to sort of hone in on saying, okay, here's what my skill set is. Is that something that can be improved through, through work? Is that something that I could maximize and really, really help my game? He has, and there are so many great examples in that Dolphins game of how his pocket movement is just at a place that even wasn't, you know, even wasn't 10 years ago. You know? It's a place that even some of your best other really good quarterbacks in the league don't do as well as he does. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but uh, man, credit that guy for really honing in on what matters and, and, and doing something that, that makes him a better player which is hard to believe that that was possible. Um, now, moving on here, uh, we're going to go to uh, the deep red work with with Rob Gronkowski. I thought this was obviously a big factor in the game. I think I spent some time on this on last week's pod. I know I did on this, and I know I did uh, with the Patriots this week show at the stadium. But but talking about how I thought it was going to be a big week for Gronk, it was. Uh, I thought how the red zone stuff for him would be important, not just in that, hey, target him down there, but how you target him. Uh, the most important thing to me that was a little quirk here was that they target Targeted him in the red zone from in line. And what that means is not just, hey, let's flex out Gronk, try to gain that one matchup and throw fades and back shoulder stuff. He wins those. We know that. He even flexes out and wins one-on-one matchups when he runs out routes. We know that's good as well. Uh, But this is more of once you put him in the formation, in line meaning in the offensive line, right? But on the edge of it. So when you put him there, it almost is certain to make one of the linebackers have to account for him as opposed to the safety. Or if you're bringing down the safety to grab him, he's only going to probably have outside leverage or overplayed inside leverage because of where he has to stand. So uh, Because you're in the box, right? Because you have to honor a run, bl- run block, you know, pass, release, because you don't know when he's in line if he's there to, to block the edge right, or to block up onto the second level. So it draws a different kind of defender sometimes, and it also brings in the run-pass element, which is a less, obviously less there if he's flexed out. So I believe two of his bigger plays down there, the touchdown and, and uh, the short, yeah, the two touchdown catches, where he was both lined, attached to the formation, in line, which helps. And I think in one, one situation, that, that drew him, Kiko Alonso in a solo situation, ran from in line and out route. It was not even a contest. He was far away from him in a hot minute. And it was like, okay, that's a real easy way. Hide him in the formation. And if, they, if you want to double him from in the formation, that just gets the second-level player's eyes out of the backfield. That's good, too. But in this situation, they tried to solo him from in the box. Good effing luck so um, that, that's big so two big wins there for Gronk uh, deep in the red zone both singled uh, there was one I shouldn't say both singled one I think he had outside leverage on the defensive back that took him uh, the his help would have would have been to the inside but the inside help doesn't come because Gronk sort of gets the defensive back to overplay and then beats him to the outside. So you have the Cardinals sin in, in, in coverage football where two guys to one side. You have a help element, and you get beat away from the help element. So you get beat to the side where you're supposed to be. So Gronk did a right, nice job of baiting the guy in that he might be going into his help and gets him to overplay. 
beats him across his face. So two great wins there, two new ways of getting Gronk involved. It wasn't just the simple, hey, flex him as a wide receiver and see if you can win one-on-one. It was more, you know, using him more traditionally, which I like. All right, so uh, next thing here was the the protection on the deep thing to cross. And I actually kind of already touched on that. But the the deep play protection, the the longer seven-step drop stuff, where you really need it to be, you know, extending out to four seconds or more to get those deep routes to to develop, they were really good on that again this week. Um, Gronk did a great job of chipping on Cameron Wake. Uh, Gronk floated a lot in some of these uh, some of these sets where he kind of went to the wake side, and you know you, he's helping a right tackle, so it's either Adrian Waddle or it's Cameron Fleming, and uh, really doing a nice job of chipping him on the way out, and then it's a takeover block for the tackle, and then they've got him under control. So there was a lot of that, and, and once you had Wake out of the formula, I think the the other three were much more handleable, <laughs> is, probably, is one way to say it, I guess, with the rest of the group. Not that there weren't times where people got beat. They did. Joe Tooney got beat, and, and Solder got beat occasionally, and Shaq Mason. Uh, but, you know, it's I think, by and large, they won most of their matchups on the day. Even though there were some hits on the quarterback, we know that that happened, and, and that just comes from you know, opting for extended pockets, opting to to let the the, the real good four man front from uh, the Dolphins have some time, and uh, they thought they could handle, it and they did a pretty good job of it. So, yeah, that's going to invite some hits on your quarterback. It's going to happen. He's prepared his body for it, and uh, you know they survived it and uh, survived in advance. That's what it's all about. But I thought the important thing there is that the protection was really there in a handful of instances where you needed the downfield routes, and they got it in part by making sure it was a really solid ship. Uh, on Cameron Wake, taking him out early, making him have to regroup to get back to the outside, which you usually can't do, and uh, forcing wins that way. Um, the Burkhead reverse was nice, came a little bit after that. It was sort of the Burkhead red zone series where they get him in the reverse. He has a real nice sort of run after he breaks the, the, the general design of the play. So a lot of extra effort work after got into space. Guys blocking great out in space. Uh, I believe Dwayne Allen was part of that. Solder on the second level. The receivers, I think Cook's doing a nice job stock blocking his guy. But out in space, uh, you know, I think these are the things you'll see more of. You know, we've seen the Cooks reverse for a touchdown thing uh, with a little sort of pat forward thing that actually goes in as a pass from Brady. Uh, but now doing it with other guys is helpful, you know, because you can't just tune in on, oh, okay, there's Cooks in the slot backed up off the ball. Maybe he's about to now run reverse. If you've got multiple guys now, you don't know which way it's coming from. And, you know, there's other guys on the roster that can run it as well. It could be Philip Dorsett, could be James White, you know, Lewis, whatever. But you can use that reverse action to your benefit as much as anything as I think it settles rushes down. It settles your up-the-field guys because they have to play the edges a little more honestly and uh you know it uh it's just good for everyone so when seeing burkhead do that seeing his real good run after contact spinning out of it making his way downfield and then um getting the uh let's see what was it uh how did they do this uh oh yeah i'm sorry yes this is this was actually after the big burkhead reverse thing then he motions out draws a line now they're down deep in the in goal line areas like you know, second to goal or whatever it was on the three-ish type place. Burkhead aligns in uh, the gun next to Tom. They motion him out. Who does that immediately draw? Linebacker, big mismatch, quick out route. Tom puts it on him actually high and sort of away from the linebacker. No chance on earth. Um, you know, the way you have a chance as a linebacker to beat guys like that, I'll put it out there to you. It's not like I'm, I'm saying I'm better than the guy that got smoked there for the Dolphins. I'm not. But I think that the technique you have to adopt is you got to hit him. you got to hit him. If you just try to match foot speed with, with, uh, with Rex Burkhead, 
you're, you're screwed. You'll never, you'll never win, right? So I think you have to aggressively tack him at the line and convince Tom that, oh, he's been hit. i got to look elsewhere. Because if he's still staring at you two seconds into it, that's when the separation happens at the top of the route. You don't have a chance in hell. So um, it's the old Rex Ryan thing. Uh, you cannot run routes with tears in your eyes. And, so, uh, and again, it's so easy to say. Obviously, Rex has got some sneakiness to him to get away from contact. But I'm simply saying that if – these off these linebackers who get flexed out or a safety when one of these backs flex out, if they just try to shadow them with their feet uh, and just run the route better than Rex, you can't do that. Run the route better than James White, you can't do that. Run the route better than Danny Amendola, can't do that. So uh, you need to be aggressive. And sometimes the over-aggressiveness will still get you beat too if Brady's willing to wait out the hit and then see how the route develops after it. But why you hit, why you play contact early is to hope that, uh, that he looks elsewhere. You can just convince him that, hey, i got to get through my progressions quickly, and it's not going to happen this time because he's not exactly where I expected him to be at 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000 after the snap. So um, guys continue to make that error against these quick little backs, and uh, yeah, they'll keep scoring touchdowns. <laughs> so moving on here, the, Gil- the Gilmore interception uh, against Devontae Parker. We touched on that in last week's show. I thought that was the best, especially red zone matchup. You know, big, tall athlete versus the bigger, taller corner that the Patriots have uh, your best go get it guy as far as Gilmore in straight one-on-one situations if there's going to be jump balls it came up just as I, as I kind of expected it might and it was the best matchup uh, Gilmore had read had had the route read perfectly he had turned and started a leap before Parker had even gotten into his sort of uh, regather for the fade himself and it ends up being uh, ends up being a uh, you know, a big, a big time touchdown. So, actually, big time interception deep in the red zone. You know, which is huge. So, Patriots dominating turnover differential there. Uh, some other things that we won't touch on now. Obviously, Brady has his interception, which is uh, unusual, uh, but he did have one on the day. I uh, got a little greedy there on the end cut from Danny Amendola, but it's big that Gilmore gets that one. We know that the other one later between he and Deron Harmon happens, and then they have the fumble. Ends up, I believe, being a three to one. Just back in napkin math, math here in my head now. But a good day for turnovers and forced turnovers. And in this particular situation, I think a lot of it was was predicated on getting the right matchup and winning it, and uh, they did. So for all those people out there that were. Shitting on uh, Stephon Gilmore for the the three game stretch he had as he was learning this defense, uh, you know people that allowed themselves while he was in the midst of concussion protocol to start talking about busts or should have paid the other guy or should not have grabbed them. Patience, Kimosabi. I think this is one of those situations where you really, really, really should have just paused yourself because he's ended up being a big plus of this team. Has had uh, several several interceptions already for the year. He's a really nice one on one matchup. Has he corrected those those issues of uh, you know penalties that were costlier in the year? Seems that way. He hasn't had any of the big grabbing things, and in part that's because I think he gets coached so hard on it now that he's had that problem. It was a problem in Buffalo. It was a problem where the season here. I know he's hearing it from his coaches, B. Flow, and from uh, from from Belichick. Uh, no, it's not B. Flow now anymore. But anyway. It, it, his his coaches on the defensive side of the ball, and uh, from Coach Belichick, they have a really low tolerance for that. And the fact that you saw him do it a lot early, and you don't see him do it at all now, I think that's as, as strong an indication as I need to know that it was because it got addressed. So uh, you take that off the table, and you take off the you know the confusion of coming in and out in bunches, and all of a sudden you're back to having a really high level corner that you should be very very fortunate to have. Stephon Gilmore, I think, has turned the corner, and this makes for a really dangerous secondary down the stretch. In that case. Um, one thing I will say here, this will be a quick 30-second point. I just, re-watching the, the special teams plays, 
I really don't get how that wasn't uh, catch interference against Danny Amendola on that fumbled punt return. Uh, it almost was like the the covering. I don't know if you guys remember this play, but Dan, Danny did fumble a punt uh, on the catch. I don't even call it a fumble. I guess it's a muff because he never actually controlled it. Um, and then the portrait of the Patriots did fall on the thing, so it's not as if it was a turnover. But when you go back and watch it, I'm amazed that this thing didn't get called catch interference because it was almost like a like a PBU, like that the the oncoming uh, coverage guy. I, I think it was a gunner, but one of the guys out early reaches a hand in on the catch. <laughs> you know, it's like you're reaching in to defend a pass. Uh, he gets a PBU on the punt, but I did you know punt catch. I don't think you can do that i mean i know you can't do that so i was really bizarre that that didn't get uh, a review uh because you know it's just, it is bang bang but usually you got to be back account at least you know some space to show that you're not that you allow the catch to happen then you make your advance on the returner that was uh he arrived right when the ball did and didn't allow the guy to catch it and punched it out and they didn't call it i don't know how you blow that when you're right in front of it so Anyway, it wasn't a great day for officiating. I'll say that as an overall point. But uh, uh, moving on here, uh, defensively, let's talk a little Patriots defense. Uh, there was a really cool play. The, the force fumble, There was actually a forced fumble. Uh, uh, Kyle Van Noy goes cross-face. I tweeted about this at the time. What this means, cross-face means, you know, you got you to gotta, say if I'm, I'm, I'm a playing outside linebacker and there's a tight end inside of me. He's looking out at me. He thinks he's going to block out on me. He thinks I'm about to edge block and try to set outside set an edge outside of him crossing his face means going inside of him crossing his face you know that's just what it's describing there so crossing one's face when you do that then obviously if you're the outside guy you've now vacated the outside force you know there's nobody outside you no more to set the edge so the patriots on that particular play uh, anticipating run this wasn't like a pass stunt uh you do this it's a little game thing with the guy that's behind you and usually if you're an outside linebacker that means you're working with a safety so it's sort of like a cover me kind of thing like he's going cross face i'm going to run some sort of stunt and the down safety takes over my edge and you could see that that did that a little bit van Noy was sort of you know on his tiptoes ready to jump the snap goes across the, f- the face really fast chunk slides down had it come back outside to, to van Noy's side he's covered uh but that gets van Noy past the blocker really quickly and into the backfield and i think it helps the back sort of take his attention off the point of the attack, which was left of center, not Van Noy's side. Van Noy's in chase here. Um, and then Trey Flowers gets in on the hit, and it ends up being a forced fumble. So the disruption by Van Noy, the nice little stunt that was executed well that covers him from, from that being a big cutback run or something. And then sort of, you know, when you get penetration, it distracts the ball carrier, and he doesn't button up real well, and Van Noy's hitting him, and, and Flowers are hitting him at the same time. It ends up being a fumble. Again, adding to that sort of differential, you cannot go on the road in New England and lose differential. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Um, and I'm wrong to say that it was, uh, it was 3-1. I think it's obviously 3-2. I keep forgetting about that Kara snap uh, to Brady. That obviously goes down as one as well, and that's you know unforced error. So that was one. Um, and then the... Uh, and then the interception was the other for the Patriots. But um, and I'll say this: I don't want to sound like I was shitting on Ted Karras here. That's it's, it's an unfortunate mistake. It's an inexperienced guy at that center position. But take that mistake out and go back and watch Ted snaps. Another really positive day from that guy. Uh, aggressive dude. He did some of the harm, high arming technique, as I mentioned. He also grinded as far as blowing through doubles and then getting up to the second level. He's a real good hustler. Blocks strong on the end line. Uh, good doubling guy for Indomitian Sue and keeping him sort of off stuff. 
wasn't a perfect day. No, but it was a good day. I think they're they're really in good hands to have had him. And you know, obviously, you feel terrible when you're involved in a in a play that leads directly to points. And he he owned it immediately, which I think tells you a lot about his personal character. Um, but you know, overall, still in good hands. Obviously, you don't want to have any more of those bad snaps. But beyond that, uh, I think Ted's doing a great job, and uh, they're they've got to be very pleased that that he slid in so well. Um, the wake sack on Brady, I should touch on this one second here. Let me grab a little sip of coffee. It's early in the morning here, folks. The sack on Brady um, against Cameron Fleming. Now, we know that uh, Adrian Waddle gets banged up in the game. He comes out. We don't know his availability now as I'm, I'm taping this show. But uh, it's going to go down as a sack against Cameron Fleming, and that's unfortunate. That shows sort of the weakness of stats. It, it's not Camp's fault, not not in the slightest. That was the one where Brady actually mishandled a good snap, uh, didn't handle the snap correctly. He fumbles it. He reaches to the ground. What does that do? That puts Tom not in his regular drop, not in his regular slide, as we know he's so good in as far as pocket movement. It puts him fumbling over the top of the ball and standing in a place that the offensive tackle isn't able to sort of cut off that angle. It's not where you expect it to be, you know, a counter two into the into the pass drop. So Wake just, just gets to take an easy angle of the quarterback, ends up being a freebie snap, sack, and Tom's not sliding out of it, pushed up field by Fleming, which would have happened if it had been clean. So it goes down as, oh, Cameron Fleming gives up a sack. Oh, Cameron Fleming's not Marcus Cannon. No, I think Cam's done a, a relatively solid job in the opportunity he's gotten. That, that's just going to be one of those oddities. You're going to look down and say, oh, Cameron Fleming gave up a pressure and sack. Oh, Cam, no, no, that was because of the fumbled snap, not, not on the tackle whatsoever. Uh, so, you know, that'll just go down as a, as a little misleading thing. But uh, I, I think uh, we're going to see a lot of Cameron Fleming this week if Waddle's not back, and that's okay because he's, uh, he's played pretty solidly, especially if you give him chip help. Uh, moving on here, the delay rush. Love this one from uh, Landon Roberts. So the Patriots are still sticking, by and large, with the four-man rush stuff. Occasionally three, uh, occasionally five. It happened. That happened a couple times, too. I think one of uh, Trey Flowers' sack was on a five, which you consider air quotes pressure uh, play. Uh, but the... Uh, the 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 Roberts delay rush was cool, and I wouldn't even I don't even know delay is the right word, but they're, they're they're showing four man with one one guy off the ball, the second guy who's off the ball is a safety, and we all know he's in coverage, but all they do is on the snap of the ball, I guess it's not really a delay, but Roberts just flies through the one of those interior gaps, A or B, whatever it is, and Van Noy falls off. So they'd run enough of the other snaps where it was four-man rush, four-man rush, four-man rush, and Van Noy is that right end had had come as a regular rusher enough times, but then they just drop him. And then and land and re- replace rushes instead, and they just blew it. Yeah, they blew the pickup. Uh, the Dolphins did, and, and Roberts gets a free sack. And you now we get to talk about uh, pass rush specialist Landon Roberts. <laughs> I love it though. He was shot out of a cannon, was down there in a hurry, and and Matt Moore had nowhere to go. So that was just a little cool little. Uh, Uh, Scheme tweak there by Matt Patricia, who, in case you haven't noticed, is having another tremendous season with this defense. Stay off that dude's nuts. He's uh, in a negative way, excuse me, because uh, he's 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 one of the best out there, guys. I don't. I know if you're a fan of this team, that's not one of the hot takey people out there that that loves to just try to find someone to blame in a game or two of a poor, poor performance. This team is very fortunate to have Matt Patricia. He does a great job as a teacher. Does a great job of figuring it out. Because it does a great job of just taking whatever clay you give him in September and making sure it's 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 good art by December. That's happened over and over and over again. And for some reason people just want something or someone to blame in September each of these seasons we do and when you start pointing fingers at Matt just know enough to shut yourself up 
and it's not it's not listeners of this show that do that. I pass that on to those friends that aren't listening to the show that listen to the other crap. So moving on, um, let's uh, talk here. I think we got some sort of closing comments here on the. Uh, now this is it. It's the it's the Gilmore Harmon interception where they both came down with it. Gilmore probably slightly more so than Duran at the first moment, and then Duran kind of takes it from him and it keeps it. That you know nothing nothing anti team teammate about that. Uh, you can tell Gilmore kind of just lets him have it at the last moment. Not that Gilmore didn't make a great play on the ball because he did. But I got a kick out of that, just a laugh. I'm thinking in my head, okay, contract incentives. <laughs> That's like the first thought. Who needs it? And if the other guy's got more guaranteed money and his isn't in year one built a lot, a lot out of X amount of interceptions or X amount of snaps or something, uh, then he may care a little less. Or it may have been just, hey, screw it, man. I already got one in the game. You get yours. So that, that was that was a, a funny, just very human moment about how, how things get calculated here in the NFL. End of the day, neither of those guys are greedy guys. They're just they're good teammates and start a laugh it off. I thought that was funny, but that was your uh, that was your Dolphins breakdown there. And now we're heading into this uh, the Bills Bills game. Looking at them more recently, I think it was helpful. You know, I looked a little at the Raiders game. I looked a little at some of the the really bad stuff. Clearly, the Peterman thing. You don't even pay attention to that. That it's it's not looking back at that game. It's just an anomaly. You don't even want to want to pay attention to it. But um, trying to figure out who these guys are is difficult because they've been such a Jekyll and Hyde group. The Buffalo Bills have played real stingy defense at times. Have played real smart efficient offense at times, have been one of the worst run defenses in football at times, have also been one of the most anemic offenses at times, have been explosive offensively at times throughout the year. So you kind of just got to look at the most recent stuff. And to me, that's sort of the bookend things here around the Peterman deal. And they're really two dramatically different stories. So, you know, I looked a lot at the Chiefs game just to see how the the, 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 the Buffalo defense was playing, and they played a lot better, especially against the run. Obviously, you go against Kareem Hunt and the mobile quarterback, and you know the Chiefs are reeling, but it's still what their threat would have been, and they handled that very well. It's obviously a much different approach than you're going to have against the Patriots, but uh, offensively, the, the, the Bills, you know, man, it's just more about protecting the football, getting the running game going, picking and choosing your spots, and trying not to turn it over. Um, one of the biggest things uh, that I think I, I came out of that game, and you detect when the seams start to come apart a little bit on a team, that the discipline breaks down a little bit. When you get just you know waylaid on as they did, uh, I believe it was the Raiders game, just where it was just non-competitive. You know, they uh, they looked atrocious. They looked dissimilar to you know to to other games they'd had this season. You wonder if you know things are allowed to go on that shouldn't, you know, and just there's too much for a coaching staff to keep track of at that point. Uh, it was the Chargers game actually where they put a 50 burger on them. It was the same. Yeah, I, I shouldn't have referenced Raiders or it was the Chargers when I was looking at Saints put a 47 on them, you know. So these Raiders, they actually won the Raiders game. That was the, that was a bad example. It was the Chargers game that was just what the hell, you know. But Chargers is Peterman. I'm talking myself in circles here. Chargers is Peterman game. Saints is big bad running game. Where the running game just went nuts all over the Bills uh, with uh, Kamara uh, and uh, and the Alabama dude. Uh, just running straight through a run game. But anyway, the point of this is is if you look at if you look at what sort of drives this offense and the problems they've had when it things started to fall apart. I look back at this offense and the way they were a week ago against the Chiefs and say, "Huh, why is this being allowed to go on?" I look at Lashawn McCoy. He's breadbasking it, more palming it, actually, out in an open field, palming the ball on virtually every carry. And what I mean by palming is just, you know, just holding it out there like you're palming a basketball away from your body. Didn't hurt him, best I recall anyway. I didn't, I didn't see a, a fumble or anything go on in that game. But 
I know that I'm just thinking of this as a Patriots, a former Patriots player, and what I think Belichick is going to be preaching. And it's really easy to find three or four clips of there. LaShawn McCoy in that game, cocky, out out in open field, pulmonary. I know he's a stud. I know he's, he's a great runner. He's one of the better runners in this league. But breaking the initial line of scrimmage or catching the ball on a swing pass or catching the ball in the flat, catching on a check down, and immediately turning and extending the ball away from his body, pulmonary like a basketball. I watch that and I go, I know they are doing drills this week of getting the ball off that guy. And, uh, man, if they're going to start, you know, the, the, the narrative, the story here is that Tyrod doesn't turn it over. The Bills just have to be good with the ball. I mean, there's a technicality there. There's, the, the, you know, the reality is that there hasn't been a turnover. Great. But is it because they're being extra protective of it? I don't know. I think there's some good fortune here, quite frankly, some stuff that hasn't yet been taken advantage of when you watch the film. So keep an eye on that. I think it could be a real big per- turnover day for the Patriots defense overall if they capitalize on some of those opportunities. Inside stuff on third down. This is, if you were to you know, really tape study Tyrod Taylor and the issues he's had, and maybe even looking from their side of the, of the view, why they made the weird move to Peter, Peterman, and I'm not, endorsing it but just saying if I were to write on the back of a napkin what are the clear issues that that Tyrod Taylor has it's it's extend it's extended plays that don't allow him to bring the ball back to the middle of the field on quick and easy reads when it's extended field reads and longer reads he usually needs to play breakdown to go deliver a really accurate ball he's actually an accurate thrower I think it's just locating and fitting in things that are deeper and outside the numbers within the pattern haven't been his thing. If you watch the plays where he is successful and where a defense should be super (laughs) frustrated, and if you're watching this at home this week and the Bills start to get things rolling, it will be because, in my view, Tyrod Taylor starts hitting on inside routes. You need, in my view, to play those receivers, Zay Jones and Jordan Matthews, inside out, inside leverage, force outside throws. The quicker and easier throws that Tyrod Taylor is allowed to have on slants, in cuts, where the defensive back has outside leverage and they're just trying to squeeze it and beat the throw there or squeeze it back to a help element, that's where Tyrod completes a lot of his passes. Beating, uh, beating, the receiver, or beating the ball to the receiver before that slant route gets to an inside linebacker or a help guy or a down safety or whatever it would be. So my view from watching it, I, you know, I'm not the D coordinator. Matt Patricia is smarter on this stuff than I am. But I'll be interested to watch and see if they play more inside leverage because forcing stuff outside the numbers and seeing if you can quickly find those, that's, that to me hasn't been – Tyrod Taylor's thing. Uh, you see a handful of their third down conversions in these last couple games, so skipping back a game to get the other, but it, it's more when he's allowed to have the inside window given to him you know, within the first couple seconds. So look and see if uh, they cut off inside releases from those receivers, especially at the slot level or the extended guys they come back in. I think a lot of hard inside leverage from defensive backs would, would be a really good, a good thing to look at going forward to, on this particular week. Um, the one of the things about Tyrod Taylor that that is good, uh, but it, it, it can be seen as a weakness or can be seen as a strength, I guess. He's really an accurate thrower on the run, um, but parts of the reason he's on the run is because some of the deep elements he doesn't hit. He's like a half second behind, a second behind seeing it, and uh, you know he he ends up having to hit it as a scramble as opposed to within the within the pocket and pattern. He's a really good pocket passer. As far as I think mechanics, I think as far as the accuracy of the throw itself, 
but he's not a great pocket passer in regards to seeing it quickly. Uh, seeing it quickly and getting through the ones that shouldn't be there. He sometimes lingers on throws that aren't going to be there, which prevents him from getting to the next one, which makes him miss the window on that one, which makes him have to go hit it on a scramble situation. One of the things that was surprising, though, in reviewing him is that there are less of the scrambles than I thought. You know, it's not like this is, you know, a guy who's going to go out and have 10 carries. Um, he moves to reset and throw or to move and move and hit throws on the run, I think, even more so than the reset and throws. But he scrambles to throw, um, and he does keep pockets alive. He does a lot of it on third down. I would say there's there's got to be an extra sort of uh, awareness about McCoy leaking out on these scrambles. So scrambles, find McCoy. Uh, find McCoy on swing passes uh, where he's to the trip side. You know, there's trips. They built trips, which makes you think, oh, a lot of action going on with these three wide receivers. And then you swing the back in the direction of the trips. And then they hit that real quickly, which is, makes it for an easier read for ta- for Taylor. And uh, you know the, the trips guys become sort of stock blockers, like a little mini offensive line out in front of it. So that's that, that was sort of a nice play for them. But um, Anyway, I just think uh, locating McCoy and really hitting him, or maybe even doubling him, or allowing a defensive end to hit him prior, you know, prior to entering into the rush, that helps because he's an outlet that t- that Taylor goes to quite a bit once things break down. So finding his shifty guy out in space uh, immediately as the breakout as the breakdown starts, that's that's a real heavy tendency. So I think the Patriots will need to be. Very, very aware of that. Uh, Steven Hushka, Hushka, however you say his name, kicker, man, he's been lights out. Guy's been hitting bombs. 56-yarder out, outside in Kansas City last week that looked like it could be good for many more. They got confidence in that guy, so hopefully hopefully the Patriots offense does have the big day you expect them, and threes just won't be enough. But if it becomes a game of threes, uh, Buffalo's been kicking the ball really well, so that's sort of a tip-of-the-cap situation. It's it's a good rise on the ball, uh, real Real accurate, and, and Hushka looks like he's kind of in one of those zones. Um, one of the things that, that, you know, sort of a final thought here on the Buffalo offense that, that did definitely catch my eye, the idea that, you know, Todd Taylor is the, is the option to go to because he doesn't turn the ball, ball over as much. He's, you know, not lighting things up for 300 yards, but he's also super careful with it or something. There's technically accurate on a stat sheet that the interceptions aren't high, but uh, there's a lot of just missed opportunities on film that I think the Patriots will be salivating for. Um, I mentioned, obviously, the ball security stuff with McCoy, but Tyrod Taylor, one particular example that made me go, holy crap, That's this is the, the protect the football guy that I keep hearing about? Um, he floats a little sort of lofted. It's called a seven-rounder, a flag, um, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, offense you're in that, that sort of refers to this, but just think of someone running up the numbers and then running out towards the pylon. So a seven cut to the outside, sort of like the opposite of a post. If a post goes vertically for 10 or 15 yards and heads to the post, uh, the, the, the field goal post, this one does it and then goes out to the, uh, goes out to the pylon. So that's called a seven cut. Um, anyway, Taylor just floated up a seven cut to Charles Clay and the safety was standing right there. It looked like almost a thrown punt. <laughs> you know, the old Flacco joke throws it up and the safety runs forward. Uh, he probably could have fair caught it. Ranch runs right past it and whiffs on it and it ends up being a big completion to, to, to Charles Clay. To me, that was sort of one of those ha ha stats moments like, Oh great completion for the quarterback. Oh, big play for the quarterback. Uh, it should have been a pick six. <laughs> so, uh, 
Anyway, I th- I, I, the reason I bring that up is I think there are going to be enough examples. Uh, that's one of the more over-the-top ones. But as the Patriots watch this film, uh, they'll see opportunities with Tyrod Taylor. They'll see opportunities with seeing windows late and then going ahead to have to take risks later down the field. And, you know, sometimes one of Tyrod's other issues is in some of those downfield throws, he just throws it five yards over the, the receiver's head and it's far and out of bounds. I mean, I think that sometimes controls some of the the, the the interception thing from spiking. But there are definitely those moments where he lets one go, where he is trying to complete it, and it floats. Um, that Charles Clay one is a pretty atrocious example. So I think the Patriots will see that, and they'll get saucer eyes and say, oh, we got something here. And just look to see if uh, if he puts one out there that gets, uh, gets gobbled on. Now, against this Buffalo defense, uh, I'm going to keep this real simple because they keep it real simple. It's a lot of four-man rush. They'll twist. They'll game up front. But this is not an exotic blitz scheme team. It's also not a team that likes defensively to uh, to do a lot of exotic back-end stuff. You know, They're not trying to run seven or eight or nine or different coverages. It's going to stay within a few different things, and they'll trap some on the back, and they'll play a decent amount of off coverage on the back so that you know the pressure comes, but the defensive backs are far enough off the ball that they can play down to them and hopefully steal one. So it's meant to try to generate turnovers from upfront pressure in a relatively basic thing and then just win with personnel on the back end and some trapping. You'll see some of that. You'll see some of the, uh, you know, the off safety that is actually helping on another defender, but he's trying to hide that he's not. You know, some of that stuff, but more or less pretty straightforward. So if I'm, I'm out there trying to sort of predict how this thing is going to go or how the Patriots will best attack them, I look at catch and run stuff. That's something Kansas City had some luck with. It's something that fits the Patriots quite well because they like to, you know, you know spread everyone out and, and try to create artificial space just by virtue of formation they'll they'll run trips which is helpful because when you do a little three-man bunch of trips people you've kind of created a little mini secondary offensive line so you can step back with brandon cooks or one of the backs and and use those guys as out in front blockers so i think there'll be some opportunities for for Cooks and or, and or Rex Burkhead uh, in either the wide, rescre- wide receiver screen games, sort of the look pass stuff. Catch and run, very effective. I think helps so help slow down pass rushes. is always, always a big big goal there. I think this is going to be another big day for Rob Gronkowski. Uh, it's not just because he's going home. <laughs> it's not just because he's going to be a Buffalo. I just think there's big opportunities there for mismatches with a linebacker group uh, and his ability to, 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 to take advantage of uh, some of those more simplistic coverages where, you know, they're not if you'll know if he's being doubled by and large off the snap of the ball. This isn't uh, spinning safeties. This isn't uh, hiding the secondary coverage guy from the linebacker level. It's more who's got him's got him and who's going to win. And I think in those situations, you usually put your chip on Rob Gronkowski. I'm expecting another big week from him. Uh, and if they and if it's not, that just means they overcommitted assets there and just a- attempted to double him each and every time, which is fine, which just means something else has opened up for either the back or, or one of those other receivers, Danny most likely, or, or even Cooks, you know, opposite that. So um, I did mention this earlier, the alerting on the trapping on the back end. Um, and that is a very real concern. Uh, and the Bills do a good job of that. Where Brady will look through his progressions, he'll look off, he'll look off, he gets deeper into them, and you're thrown to something that looks like a singled thing, but there's someone lurking sort of on the back end that's actually sort of spying that route. So make it look on the outcut like he's in a singled situation and someone flies down into it. It's probably the best thing they do. Um, so, you know, you hope that obviously they've done more study on this than I ever would, but and Brady's seen everything there is to see, but that's one of their little little good little defensive quirks for, for a 
uh, look, you know, for defense, it's by and large relatively vanilla, but you don't want to give one up that way, clearly. Um, now, the big question for me is, is this a big run game day or not? Nah? You know, uh, and I would say probably not. Uh, you know, if you look over sort of the course of the games that they had, uh, the ones that went wildly uh, run heavy was the Saints game, and that was, I think, just more of an anomaly. Um, I look back to sort of the, the 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 groups that have the lead quarterback most recently, where it could be could potentially be a Patriots esque offense, at least the the tasks that you'd see before the Bills. Uh, and that, to me, that's the Saints game. To me, that's the Chargers game. Uh, I think the Bills match up best with teams that are going to struggle offensively like they are. And that's why the Chiefs was a good a good test for them last week and a good win for them. And, and that's why football, I think, is so important in the NFL to be understood through the prism of of matchups. And and with the Patriots, well, there's a very real concern they're going to, of course, score 30. So can you score 30? Probably not. Uh, and I think for that reason, I, I think we'll probably see more of the spread them out, pressure them with keeping up with score, as opposed to trying to shorten the game through run game. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily necessarily what you want or need to do uh, against the Bills defense and, and I'll, I'll simply give the Bills defense this credit they were atrocious in run game against the Saints three weeks ago um, they were much better last week against the Chiefs so if you're guessing you know the Chiefs you know, I know they're reeling but purportedly that's one of the better things they do run the football with Kareem Hunt and the Bills came in trying to stop that and did so I think you look at what's most recent say you know what maybe we're not going to go with uh, attempt to get 200 yards rushing on the ground kind of thing maybe we're going to go back to like a 65 35 kind of pass run split week spread them out make them declare you know get into that Carolina Sean McDermott kind of stuff where it's it's more basic it's can my linebackers match the tight ends can my linebackers just straight match the backs um you know can I win on the back end with you know just using the extra helmets help elements to try to make a play and get my front four there more straightforward stuff and uh I think in that view you want to spread them out because you want to know what they're in you want to get them in. You want to get them to declare. You want to find out where the help elements are if you're Tom Brady. You want to know where any other extra sort of piece of danger might be. So you motion people around. You flop guys in the formation to figure out, make them go with you or not. Figure out if it's owner man. Find out where that lurking help guy is. Make him declare and then go at him. I think that's what Brady does, is obviously as good as anyone ever. So I think this is a week where you'll see more of that. Um, you know, there'll be some run game, and I don't. I expect it to be effective. It's not like they're... They're lock and stock on that, uh, but it's. Uh, I don't think it's a game where, just my be- my best guess, where you're going to go see 30 rushing attempts. So that's it. I see a big game. I see 37-10-ish, which is, I think, what I guessed on, <laughs> on Patriots this week. The score is less material to me is just that I don't think this is going to be a competitive game. Um, you know, and it's 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 a wild prediction, I guess, and, and by virtue of it being a division game, because you don't expect them to be. You usually expect them to be closer. I just think that the the Bills don't match up very well with the Patriots as they're they're currently constituted. So um, we'll learn a lot about inactives. I mean, if there's a two or three guys down situation with the Patriots, and it 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 maybe my my. <laughs> prospects here for what it might be are a little little overly flowerly and that's that's very possible but if you get all the guys to game day I think that you expect to and uh, things sort of just lay your cards out lay our cards out see how it plays I think the Patriots are much much better than Buffalo Bills this particular season especially this time of this season so expect a big game but most importantly regardless of how it all turns out hopefully you you got some stuff from today's show to, to let you look a little differently at the game and uh, notice some different details and stuff as you head into this to watch in this particular contest the AFC East there's still several of these to go this one's big counts a lot in the division Patriots got to win it it's always fun to go up there in that rabid environment with uh, Bills of Mafia frothing and jumping on uh, 
temporary tables, <laughs> beer pong tables. But anyway, we're going to enjoy it. It's going to be fun. Um, always love that game. It's always a fun one to watch. And most importantly, thank you, as always, for continuing to listen to the show, to share it, to spread the good word. Let's help grow this thing. Uh, I want to be the, the prominent voice out there in podcasting or talk, period, on the on the issue of, uh, of your Patriots. If you want some real stuff, uh, that's what we call it, the real thing. This should be the show for you and your friends and uh, neighbors. <laughs> we are having fun, as we always do, and uh, I'm sure you've now heard enough of me. So enjoy this game this weekend. Continue to enjoy and appreciate this team that you've got. I'll talk at you once again. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.